0: Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 63 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you for choosing to spend a few minutes of your day with me. If you're listening to this episode the day it's dropping, then it's Labor Day here in the States. So that's the theme for today. Phrases that all have something to do with work, labor, etc. So grab your lunchbox and clock in, because it's time to work through today's phrases, origins, history, and more. The first phrase we're exploring today is blood, sweat, and tears. This is used to describe when hard work is put into a task. Winston Churchill is credited with coining this phrase, but we need to go further back into old-timey times before we talk about him. This is yet another phrase that can be traced back to the Bible, at least for the idea behind it. The book of Luke is thought to have been written around the year 70 AD, and we find this in chapter 22, verse 44. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. A Welsh minister named Christmas Evans, who was regarded as one of the greatest preachers in all of Wales, referenced this verse in his work, Sermons on Various Subjects, written in 1837. He wrote, Christ, the high priest of our profession, when he laid down his life for us on Calvary, was bathed in his own blood, sweat, and tears. End quote. Well, maybe he wrote that. Some people think the original Welsh didn't say that exactly, that it was just translated that way. It actually doesn't matter, though, whether he wrote it or his translator did. It still shows us that the phrase was in use by 1837 and didn't just exist as a Bible verse anymore. Now we can go back to Churchill. Okay, so obviously he didn't invent the idiom, but he definitely helped to make it more popular when he used it on May 13th of 1940. It was in a speech he gave to warn the British people that fighting in World War II was going to bring them hardships. In front of the House, only three days after becoming Prime Minister, he said, If you ask what is our policy, it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. End quote. So, from the Bible to the battlefield, this idiom has grown in popularity, and I don't think it'll fade from use anytime soon. Now, let's have some cheese. Okay, you're probably wondering what cheese has to do with work. I'm talking about the big cheese, which is an idiom that can be used to refer to the boss. Or really any important person. Thanks to English publisher and bibliophile John Camden Houghton's The Slang Dictionary, we know that at least since 1863, cheese or cheesy has been used to mean quote, anything good, first rate in quality, genuine, pleasant, or advantageous. End quote. In 1886, Sir Henry Yole, a Scottish Orientalist, and Arthur Burnell, an English scholar, published Hopson-Yopsin, or maybe it was hopson Yopsen, I don't know, but what it was was an Anglo-Indian compendium. It included phrases that were a mixture of English and various other languages that were being spoken in India at the time. One entry was the word chiz, spelled C-H-I-Z, which basically just meant thing. By this time in London, the phrase the real thing was popular for describing something in a positive light increased travel to india led to the phrases being combined to be the real chiz which eventually evolved into the real cheese this happened basically just because more people knew what cheese was and or they may have just misunderstood chiz to be the word cheese by the early 20th century the saying made its way to america and when it did real became big, and honestly, no one seems to know why. As far as being in print, the first known use can be found in the 1910 short story Unprofitable Servant, written by American short story writer William Porter, using the pen name O. Henry. Although, in his story, he merely mentioned someone biting into a metaphorical big cheese. It wasn't being used to mean someone important like we use it today. It may have become more of a way to refer to important people thanks to an early 20th century publicity stunt practice. Often folks would display a giant wheel or block of cheese, and an important person in attendance would ceremoniously slice it up. In 1911, the Country Gentleman magazine, which was an agricultural magazine founded in Rochester, New York, wrote an article about just such an occasion. Quote, the cheese will be on exhibition at the National Dairy Show at Chicago next week. President Taft will visit the show the morning of Monday, October 30th, and after his address, he will be invited to cut the big cheese, which will then be distributed into small lots to visitors at the show. End quote. From this time on, referring to important people as the big cheese grew in popularity and with that let's move on to today's next phrase if you're a jack of all trades but a master of none then you have the ability to do many things but have no expertise it can also be used to simply refer to someone who has a well-rounded skill set usually meant as a compliment often when used this way it's shortened to simply jack of all trades So, was there an original Jack? Not exactly. Since at least the 14th century, Jack has been used to refer to people in general, much like we use John Doe or Jane Doe these days to refer to unidentified people. In fact, Jack is sometimes used as a nickname for John. A brief etymology of Jack is that it came from the French name Jacques, which came from the Latin Jacobus. So, there is no official Jack, but since Jack is basically just another way to say man, the name works well in this phrase. As for the phrase itself, we need to go back to the Elizabethan era in England, specifically the phrase, Johnny do all." See, that whole John is also Jack thing was important. Okay, so in 1593, an English author named Robert Greene published a pamphlet called Green's groatsworth of Wit. Well, he didn't actually publish it, he died a couple weeks before it was published, but he's the one the work is attributed to, although it may have truly been an edited version of smaller pieces he'd previously penned. Anyway, in the pamphlet, he appears to have thrown some shade at our boy the bard, although he didn't technically call Shakespeare out directly. Quote, An upstart crow, beautified with our feathers, but suppose he is as well able to bombast out a blank verse as the best of you. Being an absolute Jean's factotum is in his own conceit the only shake scene in a country. End quote. Jean's factotum is Latin for Johnny of all trades, and a few other lines in the work, many people think he was talking about Shakespeare, who was then an up-and-coming playwright. No one seems to know exactly when the master of none part was added onto the saying, but most people agree that it added a negative context to the saying. It was in use by at least the late 18th century, because we find it in a 1785 book called Pharmacomistics. It was about apothecaries and written by Charles Lucas, an Irish physician, apothecary, and politician. In it he wrote, quote, the very druggist, who in all other nations in Europe is but pharmacopola, a mere drug merchant, is with us, not only a physician and chirurgeon, but also a Galaic and chemist apothecary, a seller of drugs, medicines, vertices, oils, paints, or colors poisons, a jack of all trades, and in truth, master of none. End quote. Was that as hard for you to understand as it was for me to read? Hopefully I didn't butcher it too much. Let's move on and play a little. Our next hard-working phrase is, All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. This proverb means that if all you do is work, you'll become bored, and might become boring as well. The origin of this one is a bit ambiguous but it's in one of my favorite movies, so I really wanted to explore it in today's episode. More on that in a moment. What I can tell you is that it's been around since at least the 17th century. In 1659, James Howell, the British author and diplomat, published Proverbs in English, Italian, French, and Spanish, in which this proverb was included. This implies that it had been in use for at least a while before then though, as I said, no one seems to know exactly where it came from. It's been used in many stories and movies, but the use I alluded to a moment ago is likely one of the most popular ones. Although it wasn't in the source novel written in 1977 by Stephen King, Stanley Kubrick used this phrase in his movie version of The Shining, which came out in 1980. Not sure I can really spoil the movie, since it's nearly 40 years old, but just in case you haven't seen it, I'll tread carefully here. The main character, Jack Torrance, was working on writing a play, while also working as the caretaker of a hotel which was closed for the winter. At one point, his wife finds the manuscript he's been working on day and night, and finds that a large portion of the hundreds of pages he's been typing merely say, all work, and no play makes Jack a dull boy, repeated over and over and over. That's really all I have to say about this one. So now it's time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. <laughs> That's just the metaphor. Today's metaphor is "pull yourself up by your bootstraps." This is used to say work hard to make things better for yourself. Once again. The exact origin of this phrase is currently lost to history, but it's been in use since at least the early 20th century. The Irish writer James Joyce used it in his famous work Ulysses, which was published in 1922. In it, he wrote, quote, There were others who had forced their way to the top from the lowest rung by aid of their bootstraps. End quote. Now, this metaphor is sometimes shortened to just the word bootstrapping and that one has a little bit more historical information to share. Bootstrapping means to start something up, which makes sense, seeing as an actual bootstrap is a tab or loop on a boot, which can be used to pull the boot onto your foot. It helps you start wearing the boots, so therefore bootstrapping became known as a way to say, start something. This goes back a little bit further, to 1834, where it's found in The Workingman's Advocate, a 19th-century weekly publication from New York City. It said, quote, It is conjectured that Mr. Murphy will now be enabled to hand himself over the Cumberland River or on a barnyard fence by the strap of his boots. End quote. I don't have anything else for you on this one, toppers, so let's hear today's familiar quotation. Topper's today's familiar quotation is from Stephen King. It seemed appropriate since it fits the theme, and we already briefly mentioned him. Here's what he said about hard work quote, Talent is cheaper than table salt. What separates the talented individual from the successful one is a lot of hard work. End quote. Thank you, Mr. King, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words Love Advice from Old Timey Times. Just a quick disclaimer, remember that this advice is over a 100 years old. While some of the advice is still good today, I don't necessarily agree with every tip I read from these books. It's for entertainment purposes only. With that out of the way, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't expect your husband to have all the feminine virtues as well as all the masculine ones. There would be nothing left for you if your other half were such a paragon. And now for the men. Don't keep all your best jokes for your men, friends. Let your wife share them. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 63. Thank you for lending me your ears today to Turn Some Phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnafhrases.com to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. If you want bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers! Have a wonderful Labor Day. Toodaloo. And now. This is... Let me rephrase. And an important person in attendance would ceremoniously. <sighs> it can also be used to simply. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. A brief etymology of Jack is that it came from the French name Jacques, no, but most people agree it was added as, nope, it was in use by at least the eighth, nope. and chemist apothecary, apothecary, apothecary. The main character, Jack Torrance, was, ro- whoa, and it's found in the workman's, nope,